may be seated. I think you'll see in a moment why I thought it appropriate to sing that particular song this morning. With that in mind, you'll throw me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 this morning. Continuing our series of uh, sermons on uh, Peter's encounters with Jesus. And we come this morning to the Transfiguration. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, excuse me, 1 through 8, let's hear God's word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting their eyes, lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, touched by the fact that you would give to us your word. And you give us the privilege to read it and to study it on our own. To come to public places where we can hear it read and proclaimed. And I pray that you would bless our time together in your word that you would not allow it just to be another sermon, but another time where we grapple with the truth of what you've revealed of yourself to us, of what you've revealed of your Son to us, that we might be drawn closer to him and understand what it is to be his. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come, I think, to the most important and significant encounter that Peter had with Jesus. It did take place at what we know as the Transfiguration. And that event happened at a crucial time. As we saw uh, last week from Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been very frank with his disciples about what would happen to him and also about what would happen to them. Jesus gave them, you might remember last week from Matthew 16, what I, what I call the divine imperative. We find that in verse 21, where we're told from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus told them plainly what would happen to him. But then he went on at the end of the chapter, a passage we have skipped, to make it clear what would happen to them. 
or what they would experience personally because they followed him. In verse 24, if you'll notice, Jesus said this, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In verse 25, he said, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus made it clear to his disciples that following him would involve a life of sacrifice and suffering. Now I would imagine that the disciples were now at their lowest point. You might remember that uh, we saw last week that Peter didn't respond very well to that divine initiative or divine imperative. That That he took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him, contradicted Jesus, told Jesus that what he had just said would never happen, that his plan that he had outlined would never take place. You see, you have to understand, again, that what Jesus told them didn't fit in their expectations of the Messiah. For the Messiah to go to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of the religious authorities and to be crucified was anathema. They couldn't get their minds around that. Was so contrary to what they expected. And to be told that to follow the Messiah would lead them to a life of sacrifice and suffering was more than they could handle. And so, if you're going to describe the disciples now, you could probably describe them as despondent and discouraged and disillusioned. These are some men who needed some encouragement. And it's in that circumstance that we find the transfiguration taking place. It came at a crucial time, and it taught the disciples a crucial lesson. It taught them that Jesus' suffering was balanced by his glory, and that his temporary shame was overshadowed by his eternal joy. And it also showed them that would be true for them too. That even though they might endure some suffering and have to go through some sacrifice, that their suffering would end in great glory and eternal joy too. So let's look at this passage and see what we find. First, I want simply to look at the transfiguration itself. The Bible tells us it was six days after that tense conversation that Peter had with Jesus, uh, that Jesus took three of his disciples up to a high mountain. Now the three that he took are Peter, James, and John. They are what we know as the inner circle of the twelve or the inner circle of the apostles. They were the closest ones to Jesus. They were the ones who spent the most time with Jesus. And they were the ones who were shown the most attention by Jesus. Jesus poured more of his life into those three men than he did to anyone else. And they were with Jesus in some of his most personal and private moments. So it's clear these three men had very special relationship with Jesus. Now we're not sure which mountain it was to which Jesus took them. Some have said it was Mount Tabor. Others have said it was Mount Hermon. But it really doesn't matter. But, but high mountains were often places 
where God did special things. Remember, it was on Mount Sinai where God met with Moses and gave him the law, the Ten Commandments. It was from Mount Nebo that Moses was enabled to look ahead and to see the promised land, even though he would not be able to enter it himself. It was from a mountain that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and it was on the Mount of Olives that Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer. And here for this most significant event, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain to be by themselves to witness it. Now all the text tells us in verse 2, the only description we have really is it says he was transfigured before them. That word translated transfigured is a form of the Greek word metamorpho from which we get our English word metamorphosis which of course means a change of form. Caterpillar uh, goes through a process of metamorphosis it becomes something different it becomes a butterfly here Jesus is changed into something different his appearance his form changes in front of the uh, disciples he looked different when the transfiguration took place and we're told that two specific things happened to him during this transfiguration or this change both of them having to do with light one is that his face shone like the sun and the other is that his garments were as bright or white as light Jesus' face began, began to shine that remind you of some other biblical story remember an Old Testament character remember Moses when he came down from meeting with God on Mount Sinai we're told that his face was shining brightly. So brightly the people were afraid to look at him. So brightly he had to wear a veil over his face to cover the brightness because he had been in the presence of the glory of God. But there's a difference, a big difference between what happened to Moses then and what happened to Jesus here. Moses was reflecting the glory of God to which he had been exposed. But Jesus, as we'll see, was revealing his own glory to the disciples. You see, in the incarnation, when Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, he did not cease to be God. He didn't stop being God. He just took on something extra. He took on human nature. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. His deity was hidden by his humanity. His, his deity was veiled in his flesh. And what it appears happened at the transfiguration, in my simple mind anyway, is that Jesus pulled away the humanity for just a moment and allowed the fullness of his glory to shine forth so the disciples could see it. And, and the same thing is true about his, his garment shining or being as, as white as light. You know, Jesus called himself the light of the world. And here, the disciples see that light in a physical way. This is the same kind of bright light, I think, that accosted, uh, it was Saul then, the one we know as Paul, on the Damascus Road, when Jesus met him and he was converted, approached by this bright light that blinded him. 
And Jesus spoke to him during that event and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had this direct confrontation with the glory of Christ. Saw this bright light, so bright that he could not see. The point is that Jesus' face and Jesus' body simply exuded the glory of God. It's interesting to me that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 1, the Apostle John, who was on the mountain here with Peter, said of Jesus, and we beheld his glory. We saw it. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of his glory. And that's what the text means when it says that Jesus was transfigured before them. His form was changed. No longer did they see Jesus in his human form, but they began to see him in all his glory. Well, second, I want you to see who it was that joined Jesus there on the mountain. As as Jesus was going through this process of being transfigured, Peter, James, and John realized that Jesus was no longer alone. Two men were standing with Jesus. Verse 3 tells us, and behold, that ought to get your attention when he says, behold, something unique is about to happen. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So you have Jesus being transfigured. You got Moses and Elijah and they had this conversation. And Luke tells us that they were speaking of Jesus departure which he was about to accomplish where? In Jerusalem. I want you to catch that. Jesus had just told the disciples about what happened in Jerusalem. About his departure when he went to Jerusalem. And Peter would have none of it. And here Elijah and Moses are talking with Jesus about the very thing the disciples would not discuss with him. Well, why was it these two that appeared? Why not Abraham, the father of the faithful? Why not David, a man after God's own heart and from whose lineage Jesus descended? We assume it was because Moses received the law and because Elijah was the first of the prophets. You see, the law and the prophets comprises all of the old covenant. All that the Lord Jesus, the promised Messiah, fulfilled. Remember Jesus said of himself, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, I came to to fulfill them. And here on this mount of transfiguration, as Jesus' glory is revealed, as his true identity as the Messiah is given to the disciples in a time where they really need some encouragement. The representatives of the old covenant, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, appears there with Jesus. Now you might be asking, well, why this? Why this and why now? Well, as I stated earlier, if the disciples ever needed some encouragement, ever needed some clarity it was now seeing the glory of Christ would help them to 
realize that the dark valley through which he and they were about to walk was not all there would be to it. The transfiguration was designed to show them that even though Jesus would walk through the valley of the shadow of death himself, that would not be the end. There would be a final victory. And Jesus would take his rightful place full of glory with his heavenly father again. They needed that encouragement. And they needed it right then. You know, I think there's an important life principle for there for us there too. Jesus knows, or God knows, what we need. And he knows when we need it. And God's grace, as we say, as the Bible says, is always sufficient. And God always gives us his grace in the right amounts at the right time. Don't think this event didn't happen exactly when God designed for it to happen. It's because the disciples needed it. They needed this experience. And that's the way it is in your life, in mine. God always brings what I need, just what I need, in the amount that I need it, when I need it. God's timing is always right. And then third, I want you to see the reaction to this event. And the reaction came from the usual source. It was Peter. That's why we're looking at this event, because here's Peter. Peter's the one who speaks up, and again, Peter says the wrong thing. Now, let's give credit to Peter where credit is due. He started off okay. He said the right thing in verse 4. He said, Lord, it is good. It's good for us to be here. You know, Peter saw this is a good thing. Wouldn't it be a great thing to be there with, with Jesus and Moses and Elijah? He had enough sense to know this was a special thing. This was a great event. It was a true mountaintop experience. You've heard of those, haven't you? Mountaintop experiences. A mountaintop experience doesn't have to take place on a mountain. You know, we refer to any event, spiritual event, that is so positive, and so beneficial, and is such a blessing that it makes a, a tremendous impact on your life. And people will say, well... I had this mountaintop experience. Might have been a, a Bible conference. Might have been a, a youth camp. Might have been a women's retreat. Used to take uh, uh, groups to the Ligonier National Conference every year, Orlando. And those were always mountaintop experiences. It would end with the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus uh, with the whole group. What a great and rich experience but you know what usually happens at those mountaintop experiences people don't want them to end you know if you go to a youth camp what usually happens on the last night of youth camp usually there's some testimonies and people are talking about everything that's meant to them and usually there's some tears quite emotional and people don't want to leave because that experience has been so rich and so blessed and they don't want to go back off the mountain and down to real life. But you see, that's what these mountaintop experiences are for. 
They're to help us deal more effectively with real life. Peter didn't want this to end. And that's where he goes from being right to wrong, from being on target to a bit off target. He says, look, God, this is so good. If it's okay with you, I'll just build three shelters right here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We just all make ourselves comfortable. And we can stay right here. Then I want you to see the voice from heaven. God interrupted Peter. The text tells us in verse 5, while he was still speaking, God cut him off. While he was still speaking, God interrupted Peter. And he did it two ways. He did it with a bright cloud and he did it with his voice. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. He behold, the voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, again, mountains had significance. But clouds did too. There is significance to the fact that this mountain was covered with a cloud. Remember? That when God appeared to his people on Mount Sinai, we're told that a thick cloud covered the mountain. Remember, it was like by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, but a pillar of cloud by day that God led his people, representing the presence of God through their wilderness wanderings. When, when they completed the tabernacle, we're told that a great cloud descended on it to symbolize the presence of God. And when the temple was completed and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, we're told the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And, and so I would imagine when this mountain there with Jesus and Moses and Elijah begins to be covered with this thick cloud that these three men began to get cold chills and their sense of awe increased dramatically when they heard a voice speaking to them out of that cloud they heard the voice of God and the voice spoke the same words that he spoke at Jesus baptism this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here, God the Father was giving, again, public approval to his son. This is my son, and I am pleased with him. I am pleased with who he is and with what he is doing. But also, he went on to say, listen, listen to him. Now keep it in the context of where we find this particular passage. Remember who's on the mountain? It's Peter. And if anybody ever needed admonition to listen to Jesus, it was Peter. 
Because Peter had just refused to listen to Jesus. He had just refused to accept what Jesus had told him. He said, Jesus, that will never happen to you. You can't be right. And God is coming now and saying, look, you need to listen to him. I am pleased with him. He's doing what I sent him to do. Listen to what he tells you. Now, all of this was more than Peter, James, and John could take. They knew they were in the presence of deity. They knew they were in the presence of these Old Testament men. They knew they had heard the voice of God. And the reaction shows it in verse 6. Where we're told this. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. And were terrified. Being in the presence of God, hearing the voice of God, got their attention. They fell on their faces in humility, reverence, and awe. I believe that's significant. Again, I'll just tell you, it doesn't matter where you go in the Bible. Anytime, anyone got a sense they were in the presence of God, they did the same thing. They got flat on their face before the presence of God. It does trouble me that I think in the evangelical church we've lost a lot of that. We've lost a sense of God's greatness. We don't stand in awe of Him as we should. You know, we really understood who God is. We really grasped His majesty and His glory and His power. We'd be different people. It changes. It change our worship. It would change the way that we live. People need today, tend today, people tend today to think that a sense of God's presence leads to exuberance and excitement. When in reality, from the biblical perspective, a sense of God's presence does just the opposite. It makes us bow on our faces before him in humility, awe, and reverence. But I want you to notice also, before we conclude, that Jesus immediately sought to comfort Peter, James, and John. And notice what he did first in verse 7. It says, Jesus came to them and touch them. Don't miss that. Jesus touched them. You know, there's very something very reassuring about a touch, isn't there? You know, you all know I'm a kind of touchy feely kind of guy. And sometimes if I don't know what to say, I'll just reach out and touch you. <coughs> I taught the adult Sunday school class several weeks ago, and I taught through Psalm 139. And I pointed out the verse in that psalm where it said of God, You enclosed closed me behind and before, and you laid your hand on me. Figuratively, God lays his hand on us 
to reassure us, to remind us of his presence, and to remind us that even though we may be in awe of him and bow in reverence to him, that he is our heavenly father, always watching out for us and caring for us. And here when these three disciples are terrified, he reaches out and he touches them to reassure them. And then he spoke to them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And they did. And when they looked, they didn't see the cloud any longer. Didn't hear the voice anymore. Didn't see Moses and Elijah. It was just Jesus and them again. Yes, Peter, James, and John had gone through a true mountaintop experience. They had seen Jesus glory and even though they wanted it to continue it couldn't and they had to come back down to deal with real life and that's where all of us are even no matter what the experience might be how rich how full it prepares us to deal with life real life in a broken world to deal with life that is full of sin and the disciples had to come down off the mountain and deal with it. It's interesting when you come to the end of this chapter, when they come down off the mountain, they find the other disciples, the other uh, nine, kind of in a stew. <laughs> because a man said, came to Jesus and said, Look, I, I brought my son to your disciples to, to heal him, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus rebuked them. Oh, ye have a little faith. From the mountain to real life. But the question is again, why did this happen? Why did the transfiguration took place? It brought encouragement to these discouraged men. It was intended to encourage them that even though Jesus would have to go through some dark days, that they eventually would share his glory with him. And so the transfiguration was a means of encouragement to the disciples and it ought to be a means of encouragement to us as well to realize that we have a a, a, a savior who, who is full of the glory of God but not just encouragement this event brought the disciples hope hope that one day that glory would be theirs And it's your hope too. That glory one day, if you trust in Jesus, that glory will be yours. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same glory. From glory to glory. And one day, when we close our eyes in death, we will open our eyes to see Jesus in all his glory. That's our hope as believers. Our encouragement is that we have a glorious Savior who guides us through all of life, who's always there with us. And our hope is that one day we'll share that glory with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. 
We thank you for the Lord Jesus and this great event, the transfiguration where his glory became so clear. May we see it. Help us to, to see that glory in your word. and Help us to respond appropriately in humility and awe and reverence. And Father, help us to be encouraged by it. Help us to find hope in it. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.